Welcome to RAQA Today, the podcast that puts the fun back in quality, compliance, and regulatory affairs. Here's your host, Michelle Lott. So we're going to uh, talk about the aftermath of MDR today. I make a joke that in addition to all my technical qualifications, I'm also a master grief counselor because people have a hard time coming to terms with regulatory requirements and MDR is no different. So today we're going to talk about the current EU picture. We're going to talk about the stories I've gathered along the way of um, creating this presentation and then some do's and don'ts or lessons learned from those stories. And then we'll talk about how to do a business case for if MDR makes sense for your company and your products. To prepare for this presentation, I personally interviewed 20, over 20 people, 15 were from industry, five were from notified bodies, and I spent hours and hours researching industry reports and surveys. And what's important is that even in some of the largest industry surveys, the number of respondents is still very low, like 96 was one of the highest reports that I saw uh, in terms of people who participated. And so that tells me that that as a whole, there's still very few people that are brave enough to be some of the early adopters from the MDR. So we're going to talk today on the lessons learned that we can learn on those people who were brave enough to go first. So first, let's take a look at the current EU picture. Um, and I call it, it's, it's a, really a joke right now of trying to bring your product to Europe. So I say, you know, are you trying to bring your product to Europe or you want to send it on a National Lampoon European vacation. So hopefully we'll come up with a couple of tricks today that you can avoid it turning into um, a parody. We have a paradigm shift happening between the FDA and the EU. Once upon a time, the FDA had the reputation of being the slowest place to bring a product to market, of requiring a lot of clinical trial data, and the EU had a reputation of ease of entry and relying more on performance standards than clinical trials. Well, that paradigm has shifted dramatically with MDR, but it's not just MDR that's causing the shift in uh, that reality. The FDA actually also has a strategic priority to be the country where people wanna bring their products to market first or in parallel with other major markets. This is a priority that they set in 2018, and they actually just contacted one of my customers this month to interview and do a survey about how, how they did on meeting that goal. To further complicate things is politically, there's just a lot happening in Europe right now. You have the, the traditional EU 27 member states, but you also have the European Free Trade Association that's kind of informally a part of it. But then you have uh, Switzerland and the United States Kingdom working on succeeding from that whole arrangement. And then who knows if Turkey is going to end up in, in Turksic. But, you know, kind of long story short, right now you're looking at the potential of up to three different versions of a CE mark, depending on which areas of Europe that you're trying to enter. The translation is a really big issue. And so right now your translations might as well be lost in space. When MDR was first written, it was, it was negotiated and formalized in English. And then the final product was translated into the rest of the, the languages of the 
member states. So we've got 24 languages that this is being translated into, and that doesn't include Klingon, although for some of us, we may be more well-versed in Klingon versus the, what the MDR is trying to say. And so, so we have a lot lost in interpretation between what they meant when they were negotiating in English and what it got translated into in the local dialects. I had two different notified bodies I talked to say at the end of the day, it's not clear what the MDR originally meant. And so therefore it's, it's almost not even legislation anymore between notified body to notified body, it's interpretation. And this is evidence, one of them told me about its um, designation audit early on in the process. And they had auditors from three different competent authorities and they were all um, arguing, they stopped the audit at one point because they were auditing over their own interpretation of MDR because the three different competent authorities in three different native languages understood the requirement differently. So, you know, the question is, the, does MDR really bring more harmonization? So in theory, this is supposed to be the basis of legislation across all the different member states, but there's still a lot of variation in the application, the submission processes, in the fees, in the culture from country to country, We've, the language differences, um, and then you've got translation issues from language to language, but then also, like I was mentioning, you know, sub-dialects of that all give different inflections and, and meaning on the intent. And then you've also got expertise differences in some of the larger notified bodies have enough resources to have in-house expertise where others might be um, relying on external experts that, that may or may not be as available. So at the end of the day, you know, we've all, all heard the phrase, it rolls downhill. Well, what you have here is the European Commission issues the regulations. The, it's holding the national competent authorities accountable for designated the not notified bodies and for auditing and holding the notified bodies accountable going forward. And so at each layer, we have all these political and translation and interpretation scenarios happening so that as it rolls downhill and finally makes it to the manufacturer, you've got this snowball of what does this really mean and how do I comply? Across the people I interviewed, these were just a sampling of the the ways that they described the experience uh, negotiating the CE mark with the notified bodies. And what is most heartbreaking to me is that several people reported to me at the end of the process that I just feel incompetent. And these were seasoned regulatory professionals with over 20 years of experience, but things are so complicated right now and nobody knows who's on first and what's on second that even the most seasoned people feel lost in trying to navigate this process. The MDR actually has a mandate to notified bodies to be consistent, fair, and reasonable, specifically with the interest of small and mid-sized enterprises in mind and in relation to the fees. But this is not what's happening. And we'll look at a couple of examples of, of that. Specifically, the main challenges for manufacturers and both the people I personally interviewed and across all the surveys and research that I did is uh, the clinical evaluation, what it's gonna require to transition your legacy devices, 
the expectation around your testing um, and your risk analysis. And then just these are all living things to be able to keep up with these once you do get the seeing mark is no small feat. And most importantly, the emphasis on the post market is exponentially above what it used to be for MDD, but certainly above what FDA expects. For to bring products to market in the US, there's very little post-market activity outside of adverse event reporting. Under the MDD, we, we always had the CER and maybe um, PMCF to an extent, but, but, but they weren't quite as uh, much of the focus. They were a part of the technical file instead of almost a whole standalone process. Now, under MDR, you can expect to put as much work into your post-market as you put into your pre-market. Another challenge is that the reduction of notified bodies under the MDD to the MDR, we've now got 24 that have made it all the way through the process. But this is some recent data um, published by the European Commission showing just how are the, no the rest of the notified bodies moving through this process. And so you can see, you know, right in here at these last stages, we really only have two more that may make it into designation and NANDO in any reasonable amount of time, with only about six more that are about to enter those final um, throws of designation. So we really don't have a whole lot of hope coming that we're going to have more notified bodies and therefore more review resources. Uh, available between now and 2024. Um, the notified bodies as of today, 24, it makes a difference um, who you pick as your notified body because they are not consistent in their implementation. For instance, the Netherlands will allow remote auditing of the MDR, whereas Germany does not. And that's just one of many scenarios that you need to consider when you select a notified body. We have the expiration of the MDD and the um, AIMDD certificates coming up. You can tell uh, over the next two years, the bulk of certificates uh, expire in 2024, which means the resources are gonna be strung thin both internally and within the manufacturer, but especially at the notified bodies trying to get certificates um, issued that expire kind of at the last minute here. And it's important to understand how your, your notified body defines significant change. It will affect if your certificate can stay valid. And if you decide you're going to divest product lines, you don't get to sell your existing certificate with that. Just changing the ownership restarts the whole certification process under MDR. So that really leaves legacy device manufacturers needing to break out the college algebra and do the math on um, back calculating from May 2024 or whenever your certificate expires into how long is it going to take to get through your notified body and the, the process to issue the certificate. So for legacy devices still under the MDD, this is what that process looks like. You really should already have applied with a notified body and you should be receiving a proposal and a signed executed contract committing resources to your product. By January 2022, to be safe and avoid any hiccups, you should be submitting your technical documentation. But absolutely drop dead 
is December of 2022. So this is going to be the final call to allow yourself that 18 months or so that it's going to take to get through this process um, and make it to May 2024 before the ticking time bomb of the certificates expire. But if you look at what's happening with the notified bodies timeline, uh, for the past years, they have been or should have been hiring technical resources and training. And the reason this is so important is to train a technical reviewer, it takes 20, 12 to 24 months, um, 12 to 18 months for a technical reviewer, but 18 to 24 months for a clinical reviewer. And the problem with the clinical reviewers is a lot of times they don't understand the need to understand the actual regulations, not just the, um, their, their clinical specialty. So by January 2022, you really need the resources dedicated to your submission um, and you need to be starting this process. So speaking of the resources of the notified bodies, you can see that every year for the past eight years, notified bodies have increased their number of resources with adding another 5% just between 2019 and 2020. But this is still not enough. They're still having difficulty finding people who are uh, have the right competence, skill sets, and certifications uh, to meet the expectations of MDR. And they're facing very stiff competition with manufacturers and consulting companies for those resources. I even had a customer based in France that uh, lost their RAQA manager and were recruiting and they lost three candidates that got hired to notified bodies that they were going to make a proposal to. So as of December 2020, we have only 1% of manufacturers that have successfully transitioned to MDR certificate. I call this the one percenters. And the reason why is because for the large part, these people are it's the large companies that have a lot of financial and internal technical resources that, and that we're going to bring the, maintain their European mar market clearance, period. They, we only have 10% that is in process of that transition. Where is the rest of them? Most of them are still in the certification process. Some of them were kind of more at the end, waiting for the actual um, issuance of the certificate. Where, where are the rest? Where's the other 90% or so? Well, this is going to really create a, a possible extinction of products that are existing on the market that may be co commodities. For sure, people with new and novel ideas uh, are going to think twice about the clinical data that they need to bring the products to market in Europe. And then, you know, we always have the, the, the patient impact from either not having the, the products that financially continues to make sense or the novel technologies to treat rare disease states. <laughs>